I'll be reading Revelation 7, 15 to 17. Revelation 7, 15 to 17. <clears throat> Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away tears from their eyes. And our sermon this morning is entitled, Luke's Beautiful Portrait of Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, this morning, be with us. You've promised to be with us. We now invite you again to be with us as we open your word. Help us today to see things again for the first time in the book of Luke. In Jesus' name, amen. I've often thought the text in Revelation and tried to ponder its meaning in the full extent. Revelation 6, 9, 9 to 11. Revelation 6, 9 to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with voices, saying, How long, O Lord, how long? True, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, every one of them, and it was said of them, that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Key words, how long, O Lord, how long? And then they should rest but a little season. As a physician, I'm surrounded much too often with situations that are heart-rending. And at times, it's like treating the people during the 1919 flu epidemic that died by the millions. Because all you had is aspirin. Not very much. Some time ago, I was on call you know, when you're on call at a hospital, it's like a funnel. You take care of everything that comes to the emergency room. You don't have any choices. 39-year-old woman, beautiful woman, came in. And as I went down to the emergency room, her skin looked as white as the sheet she was laying on on the gurney, on the bed in the emergency room. Of course, I knew instantly we had a major problem. Turned out... Her history was that at age 13, she started smoking. Either wasn't able to or couldn't, maybe a mixture of the two, couldn't quit. Now she was there, white as a sheet, anemic. As I recall, her hemoglobin was around 5 grams. Should have been 12. She um, had a workup. 
found a tumor in the lung, and that tumor had spread everywhere in her body, including her bone marrow, crowding out the ability for her to make red blood cells. So her next stop was an intensive care unit. There I found myself standing at her bedside. Off in the corner, I'll never forget this, was her mother sitting in a chair, crying her eyes out. Her new husband, they'd just been married a short time and madly in love. By the way, she had just gotten a real estate license and had already been accepted at a real estate company in the north of here. And new husband leaning over the bedside, crying his eyes out. And the patient, the patient was looking up at me, saying, I don't want to die. Do something, doctor, I don't want to die. So mother weeping, nurse on the verge of tears, husband over the bed, weeping hysterically, the doctor crying, I could do nothing. And she's saying to me, help me, I don't want to die. So I think of Revelation 6, we've just read. How long, O Lord, how long until the evil one is given his due all the sins of the world from Adam and Eve on, on his shoulders at the end of time. I recall a 17-year-old oriental girl that I took care of early in my, uh, my lifetime. She was just a sweet little teenage girl. She had leukemia. And in those years, we didn't have much to treat it. And I had to suffer along with the family and the little girl. I went to her funeral and uh, I was crying along with the relatives. How long, O oh Lord, how long until you avenge the evil one? As a physician, my life is filled with heart-rending situations over and over again. I cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? How long will it be until you avenge the deceiver and the evil one? Down through the early Christian church, the martyrs have gone to their deaths from people who would kill them because they believed in God. All the disciples met early untimely deaths, save John. When the Isle of Patmos, it's estimated he was probably in his 90s. And then he was released and went to the church of Ephesus there and was the white-haired, white-bearded saint. On to the dark ages, millions of people lost their lives. How long, O oh Lord? How long will it be? And the answer comes just a little longer. We come to the time of the Reformation and all those who died for, this, for their faith. Even today, millions suffering in atheistic countries. How long, O oh Lord, will it be? A book that just came into my hands recently is an amazing book. The Heavenly Man, it's called. And it's by 
a story of Brother Yun, a Chinese man. And just a few excerpts from this book. We have modern-day martyrs. We have modern-day Christians who are suffering mightily for their faith. On a warm September evening, a small group of Christians gathered at Bangkok International Airport. We've been there a number of times. Bangkok International Airport to welcome back Brother Yun. It had been more than eight months since we had seen his smiling face. In January of 2001, he had been arrested. During the first few days of his incarceration, the prison authorities almost beat him to death. Later, he was sentenced to seven years in prison. Occasional messages were carried out of the prison to his concerned friends around the world. One said, God has sent me to this prison, and in this place there are many people here who need Jesus. Can you imagine this? I will be in this prison for exactly, listen to these words, I will be in this prison for exactly the length of time God has determined. I won't leave one moment early and I won't stay one moment too long. When God determines my ministry in prison is complete, I will come out. Miraculously, in God's perfect timing, Yun was released after spending just seven months and seven days of his seven-year sentence. Now we are gathered at the airport, hoping to see him arrive. Would he be sick, tired, quiet after his harrowing ordeal? Suddenly, Yun appeared in the arrival hall. It was none of these things. His face was full of light, and a wide smile stretched from ear to ear. Praise God, hallelujah, were his first words. Glory to God. We held hands and bowed our heads in a prayer of thanksgiving as bemused passengers hurried past us to their check-in counters. He once told his wife, Dealing, we are absolutely nothing. He, we are absolutely nothing. We have nothing to be proud of. We have no abilities and nothing to offer God. The fact that he chooses us is only due to his grace. It has nothing to do with us. <laughs> okay, on just a few more excerpts. Um, by the way, what does this have to, the book, have to do with the book of Luke? You'll find out. He once wrote these words after being in prison and tortured over and over again, running through the, the hinterlands of communist China, escaping, being caught in prison and out again in the cold of winter. He wrote, he composed these words of this song, As long as I live, I will only love my Lord. With all my heart, strength, and mind, I will only love my Lord. Regardless of what happens, I will only love my Lord. In all my actions and words, I will only love my Lord. In times of humility and learning, I will only love my Lord. In times of joy and gladness, I will only love my Lord. Whether I face hunger or if I'm full, I will only love my Lord. I am his in life or death. I will only love my Lord. The Lord has sacrificed his life for me. My deep sin has been pardoned. I have dedicated all my life to him. I will only love my Lord. It's a song he composed when in prison. More than 70 days had passed, and I hadn't eaten any food. Now, my friends, that's humanly impossible. And I hadn't drank any water all that time. He's now in prison. 
The Lord is sustaining him, obviously. Since the day I was imprisoned, I hadn't received a single word from my family or my church. My cellmates, despite their skin disease, didn't stop torturing me. I nearly believed the words from their mouths that I was going to die. Darkness and torment pressed against me. At that time, I felt an angel of the Lord surround me with his strength and kept me from dying. The book is absolutely amazing. The next morning at 8 o'clock on April 7, my mother and wife and six other relatives and co-workers miraculously arrived at the front gate of the Nanyang prison. The gatekeeper made them wait while the guards ordered Brother Yu to carry me to the integration room again. They tried to trick me, saying, Yun, this is again your big opportunity. If you'll just open your mouth and speak and renounce your religion, all of this can be settled once and for all. When I refused to answer them, they again madly beat me with a whip and shocked me with an electric baton. I lost consciousness. When I came to, listen to these words. When I came to, I felt a very warm sensation flowing over my body, as if I was lying on a soft bed. I didn't know if I was alive or dead, awake or asleep. I had been beaten too much. I felt warmth against my face, as if someone was gently, lovingly caressing me. I thought I was having a vision, but when I opened my eyes, I saw I was in the arms of my mother. Beads of warm tears awakened me, and her loving arms tightened, comfort, comforted me. I saw my mother was in great anguish, as if a knife had cut her to the heart. Di Ling stood beside me, my wife. She couldn't believe her eyes at my physical condition. My wife spoke to my sister and said, I tell you, this is not my husband. This is definitely not my husband. I was just a pile of skin and bones, much as my hair had fallen out, and, be, and besides being beaten and kicked, my ears had shriveled. I had grown up unkept beard and a messy hair. The patches of hair that remained were knotted together from my own dried blood. My whole appearance had changed because of the electric shock therapy they gave me. My own wife couldn't even recognize me. My mother knew it was me, however, and she identified my birthmark. She wept aloud and cried, This is my son. Lord, have mercy on us. This book is absolutely amazing. Um, a young Christian Chinese boy who through it all remained and kept his faith. We are today here in this comfortable church in a, in a worship service in a town where we are not caught and tortured we can come here and hear the gospel. May, may our comfortable lives and what finances we have not get in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we get into Luke, I have one other item I wish to share with you. Many of the millions and millions of Christians that have died over the centuries since Jesus was on earth there are others who have been so disappointed that they could hardly, hardly live on. One such was a, by the way, this is, when I was a boy, I wasn't going to say this, but I will. I remember being 9, 10, 12, 11 years old in that range group, in that age group. And every Thursday, the Review and Herald would come to our home in the mailbox there. I would wait outside, throwing the ball up in the air with my mitt and catching it. The postman would come and leave the mail on our door. And in there every Thursday was a review and herald. 
I don't know how a young kid like me got onto the editorial page of the review at that age, but I did. And here Francis David Nichol, a hero of mine, he would, he would write these editorials. And I couldn't wait to read the next one. And today I have his books and have much that he's written. But he, he quoted this story. And then, and then Dwight Nelson quoted it again in the book, The Chosen. It's about this Baptist farmer turned preacher reached for his pen. This was on November 10 of 1844. And with a heartbroken sigh, scribbled the following words. Now, can you imagine leaving your farming business, becoming a preacher, studying deeply into the Daniel and Revelation, and then becoming famous nationwide and literally around the world, and then having your hopes dashed, and you being so embarrassed you could hardly go to the store or hardly even get a, a, see anybody. But here's what this Baptist preacher wrote after the great disappointment of 1844. Nineteen days after his hopes had been dashed, William Miller picked up his pen there in his quiet farmhouse in New Hampton, New York, and wrote the following words to his colleagues in ministry, Joshua Himes. Listen up to this. Although I have been twice disappointed, I am not yet cast down or discouraged. God has been with me in spirit and has comforted me. I have now much more evidence that I do believe in God's word. Did you hear those words? In my mind is perfectly calm, and my hope in the coming of Christ is as strong as ever. I have done only what, after years of sober considerations, I felt to be my solemn duty to do. If I have erred, it has been on the side of charity, the love of my fellow men, and my conviction and duty to God. And then Miller pins the new date to which he has affixed his hope. Brethren, hold fast. Let no man take your crown. The next words, if we can be so bold as to say, have become eternal words. And I didn't know till recently that this famous line comes from William Miller. I have fixed my mind on another time. I have fixed my mind on another time. That being the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. And here I mean to stand until God give me more light. And that is today, today, and today until he comes. And I see him for whom my soul yearns. William Miller. So some, some die in the Lord. Some are disappointed in the Lord. But it's only and always for his glory. So now we turn, and what does this have to do with the Gospel of Luke? Well, the prologue here has something to do with it. I can identify with Luke perhaps more than the other Gospels because he was a physician, as we know. So it's a portrait of salvation by Luke. What if your Bible did not have the story told of the 12-year-old boy of Jesus in the temple? What if that story wasn't in the Bible? You know, Luke's the only one that told that story of all the Gospels. What if your Bible did not have the record of the miraculous catch of fish with Peter? Luke is the only one that told that story. What if your Bible did not have the beautiful story of the raising of the widow of Nain's son? 
Luke is the only one who told that story. What if your Bible did not have the story of the healing of the stooped woman? Luke is the only one that told that story. Here's the physician coming through. What if your Bible did not have the story of the record of the healing of the ten lepers? Luke is the only one who told that story. And then Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that tells the Malchus ear was cut off and was healed by Jesus. And then the parables. What if you had a Bible without the parable of the Good Samaritan? Luke is the only one who told that story. How about the story of the rich fool who built all the barns? Luke is the only one that told that story. How about the fruitless fig tree? Luke, again, is the only one who told that story. How about the great banquet, the scene in to come in heaven above? Luke is the only one who told that story. How about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost prodigal son? Luke is the only one who told those stories. And then the last parable of the two men going up to the temple to pray, which is a microcosm of the gospel and those who will be saved. Luke is the only one who told that story. Luke is the only one who tells the story of Jesus before Herod, that horrible, awful king who wanted to see a miracle of Jesus for his own aggrandizement and his own amusement. And Jesus would not say one word to him because Herod's probation had passed. So let's get into Luke this morning. And we'll open our Bibles to, first of all, to Luke 2, 2, 4, 241. We're going to go through some of these stories, and mainly we're going to read Bible and make a very few comments. Starting with Luke 2, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days... As they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Twelve years old, carries behind. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. There was such a crowd of people going outside Jerusalem. But when they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. It's quite an amazing story. Everybody that's had children can appreciate this. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. When it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished, were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? I love the King James wording on this thing. Wist ye not? Now, isn't this amazing? You know, there's another place in the Bible where Jesus was at that home where the paralytic came down through the ceiling and his mother, his brother and disciples and his mother came and they said... Um, and they said, uh, uh, your mother and father, your mother and brethren are outside. And Jesus said, my mother and my brethren, these are my mother and brethren, held out his hand. And he said, those that know the Lord, that are, are born again, those are my, my mother and my brethren. 
Well, here he started off this thing by saying, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Luke is the only one that records this story. Let's go to uh, Luke um, 5, 11 and onward. Let's start with verse, um, with verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them. And they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed with him that he would thrust out a little farther from Lamb. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. When he had left speaking them, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let your net down for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. They had hardly met Simon and Jesus at this point. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, and they should come and help them. When they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't that interesting? When Simon saw the miracle of Jesus, he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which were had been taken. You know, all through the three years that Peter was with Jesus and had seen all these miracles and all he'd heard all the parables, he was so human that he still denied his Lord. And then after it was all over, Jesus had risen on the shore of, uh, of Galilee. That early morning breakfast, Peter knew that he was accepted back with his Lord. So let's go on to... Um, the story of raising of the of Nain. It's seven eleven, I believe. Luke seven eleven. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. When he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, and only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people. Don't you love the King James? Much people. How many is much people? Well, it's many, many people. Much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. I love this wording. He had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Here's the creator of the universe that speaks worlds into existence. And he notices a poor widowed woman with her only son that had passed away. And he takes time for her. Now that's the Jesus that I know. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him unto his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That is a great prophet, is risen among us, and that God hath visited his people. Amazing. The God of the universe would take time to, to notice a widow who was weeping hysterically, undoubtedly, and her only son. In that society, you know, widows would often starve to death. History tells us because they had no support. And people didn't in that society pay much attention to them. But here came Jesus. Oh, yes. Here came Jesus. And he took care of her. 
Okay, we next go to um, Luke 13, 11. You know, it becomes very obvious. Doesn't, it doesn't take you long to figure out that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but he also came to focus on the poor and the underprivileged and those that had no hope. And he gave them hope. And he does so today. 13, I'm sorry, 1311, yes. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed down and could in no wise lift herself up. Shall you go there this morning? I suggest we do. We go there this morning, stand beside, right beside this woman and Jesus and try to feel this situation. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler, here we come, here we go. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine? And the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him, by Jesus. An amazing, amazing interaction. Let's go to uh, 1711. Luke seems to be focused a bit on healing and people with diseases, doesn't he? 1711. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and he entered into a certain village. There met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. Well, how quick was that miracle? (laughs) Would that be called an immediate response? And it came to pass that as they went and were cleansed, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. The very group of people that the disciples and the other Jews thought were dogs, and they wouldn't even go through their cities. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give God to glory, save this stranger. And when he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Leprosy, that would be like end-stage cancer today. It would be like AIDS. It would be like um, death warrant. If you were the 
chief of the synagogue and you got leprosy. You were suddenly out beside the road begging for your food, for life. You could not be near anybody. You had to call unclean, unclean, unclean if somebody were to come a few feet towards you. We turn to the parables um, of Jesus and these are the parables that were only told by Luke. The good Samaritan, the rich fool, the great banquet, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost prodigal son, and then the parable of the two men going up to the temple. Let's see what we can learn today again, perhaps seeing it again for the first time in these parables. Let's, uh, let's start with 10.25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 27, what did Jesus leave out here? Anything? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. How perfect can we be? And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, said, Remember in one place the Bible says Jesus said nothing without saying a parable. <laughs> and Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. Verse 32 and a half. And here came a Seventh-day Adventist and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A few verses earlier, we read that Jesus had compassion. Isn't this interesting? And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own donkey, beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. One of the keynote parables of the New Testament, and only Luke records this parable. Let's go to the um, 12, 11, chapter 12, verse 11. I'm sorry, 1216, the rich fool. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. Now, who caused that? The man or God in heaven that gave the rain and the sunshine? And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? There's a few eyes coming up here. What shall I do 
because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will bestow all my fruits, store all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself that is not rich toward God. These parables have great salvation emphasis, don't they? Great salvation themes. Um, let's, let's go on. And again, Luke is the only one who records this. Let's go to 1416, the great banquet, 1416. Then said he, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. What's this say? What's this pointing to? It's pointing to the invitation of eternal life for us right now. And they all with one accord consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs to go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's going to buy a piece of ground without going to see it first? The Bible implies this is a big excuse. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. Well, the same thing. Who's going to buy a yoke of oxen without proving them first? This is a big excuse. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Well, let me ask you, which wife wouldn't want to go to a banquet? So what's, that servant came and showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Friends, I think that's happening right now around this planet. The gospel of Christ is going to every corner of this world as we speak right now. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Is God trying to keep us out of heaven? Or is he trying to get us into heaven? For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Reminds me of Revelation 19 and the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus calls us at last, when all the great controversy is over. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. But basically what it means is the cause of God is most important of anything. The salvation story, giving it to other people, is more important than our earthly ties. Well, let's go to... Um, Verse 15.3, we have a series of um, lost 
people and things here. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Um, let's read verse 15.3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Is God trying to get us in heaven, or is he trying to sort out people that he doesn't want there? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Another place in Scripture, we have the words, There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The sheep knew he or she was lost, but didn't know how to get home. The next one, verse 8, the lost coin. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light it a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. When she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I have lost. Again, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. This parable is of a coin. A coin, of course, it goes without saying, had no idea it was lost. And it had no idea how to find its way home. And also, the story, the parable of the sheep earlier, that sheep wasn't lost in the community of faith. It was lost outside the community of faith, so to speak. The coin was lost within the community of faith. Then we have the third one, the prodigal son, 1511. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods. We've heard the story over and over again. That falleth to me, and he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. When he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, but he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. When he arose and came to his father, he was yet a great way off. My friends, what does that imply? The father was looking for him, hoping against hope that he would come back. But it had to be his decision. The father could do nothing to force the issue. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. The third time that word's come up this morning, compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. My friends, that was while the child from the pig pen was still dirty. He hugged him and he kissed him. Is that a parable for us today? And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned. Against heaven? He had it right, didn't he? He had first sinned against God and then his father. 
I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him. That was before he took the bath. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. They began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. And his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safely and sound. And he was angry. Isn't that interesting? The lost was found, the son had come back, had asked God to forgive him and asked his father to forgive him and his brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. The father was pleading for the other son to understand. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gave me a kid and I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, you notice he didn't say my brother, Thy son has come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a story. What a meaningful story for us today. We end with 18.8, the famous parable that only Luke records. 18.8. We'll start with verse 10. Verse 10 instead. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, and the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. <laughs> I give tithes of all of I possess. He probably had a card in his pocket and pulled it out and said, Lord, here's all the things I do. And this publican standing afar off would not lift up his, so much as his eyes unto heaven, and smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I think we have right there words that we could say, he that exalteth himself will not be walking through the golden shores one day. But he that humbleth himself will be walking in through the gates of the New Jerusalem. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Here the disciples had an interesting spirit, didn't they? But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. 
Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So the themes today are salvation themes. They're, they're things, the way God thinks and sees things, as opposed to how we see things so often. I met, you know, Luke was Greek. He wasn't a Jew. And I just imagine that Luke might have been, remember when the, the Greeks came to Jesus at the, uh, at the temple? They came from afar and they asked, they asked Andrew and Philip with those immortal words, we would see Jesus. You know, that's the cry of the human heart for all the ages. John 1.9 says, Of the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Well, there it is. We would see Jesus. They had heard about him. I wonder if Luke was among those Greeks that came that, that day. Did Jesus, when, they, when Jesus heard those words, it was like the first green blade of grass in, in, in the springtime because he knew that the gospel he was trying to give to the people of his day was going far, far and wide. And it must have warmed his heart. The first blade of a green grass. I think Luke, as a physician, what he had to work with in his day was not very much. But he knew, he knew his trade, I'm sure. He knew how to treat people as best he could. But here he knew and saw and heard about this Jesus, this Galilean preacher, who not only knew how to treat people, but he healed them. And Luke was attracted to this Jesus somehow, so attracted that he later was to write. By the way, the book of Luke was written in A.D. 60, about just 30 years after the death of Christ. And he also wrote the book of Acts. He was so attracted to Jesus that he couldn't help himself. He had to put his pen to work and write all the stories that he had heard from first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus' life on, on the earth. So I hope this has been meaningful to you today. It was meaningful to me to study through this, this book of Luke in preparation to today and review the miracles and the parables that only Luke recorded. I want to close with the words of an old song. On which side of the cross are you? On Calvary's dark and rugged hill, three crosses as can be seen. The crosses of the dying thieves and Jesus in between. On which side of the cross are you? On which side of the cross are you? With the thief who disbelieved or with the one Christ received, on which side of the cross are you? Mankind is all divided now by Jesus' central cross. We're either with the trusting thief or the one who suffered loss. On which side of the cross are you? On which side of the cross are you? With the thief who disbelieved or the one Christ received, on which side of the cross are you? If you have never trusted Christ, accept him now, I pray. Remember that your sin and shame helped nail, helped nail him to that tree. On which side of the cross are you? With the thief who disbelieved or the one who Christ received? 
On which side of the cross are you?
Loving Jesus, we're thankful to be in your house today. We're thankful to open the scriptures you've left us, to learn of salvation anew, to learn something about your character, about what you did for us. You came and told us stories, came from the throne of the universe, and told us stories, stories that would lead us at last to the kingdom. Help us always to remember this earth is not our home. We're just passing through on our way to the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.